will teach on their level. And uh, so, as we get into the word here, amen. I love to see lots of young people here. Isn't that a blessing? It's good. We're glad for you crusties too, but we like the young people as well. I'm just teasing. Matthew chapter 3. You ever notice that in our battle against sin, we often fail and fail and fail again? A preacher was winding up on his sermon, and boy, he was hitting sin hard. And as he was uh, getting wound up and getting more and more worked up, he said, if I had all the liquor in the world, I'd take it and throw it in the river. And his people said, Amen. And he said, if I had all the wine in the world, I'd take it all and throw it in the river. And all the congregation said, Amen. He said, if I had all the heroin and the cocaine in the world, I would take it and throw it in the river. And the congregation all said, Hallelujah. The preacher sat down and the song leader stood up and announced for our closing hymn, we're going to page 365, Shall We Gather at the River. You knew that was coming, didn't you? Surveys tell us that 90% of people believe that Jesus was a real person, but just over half believe that he was sinless. Uh, what do people want of Christ today? Look around and you see the different ways that people look at who Jesus was and what he was all about. They have a Republican Jesus and a Democrat Jesus who favors the government policy that they happen to prefer. They have the therapist Jesus who helps us cope with our life's problems and uh, tells us not to be too hard on ourselves. They have the open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, unless you're not open-minded. They have the touchdown Jesus, the one that uh, helps athletes run faster and jump higher, of course, the ones on your team. They have the hippie Jesus, the one who teaches everyone to give peace a chance. Imagine a world without religion. Help us remember that all you need is love. They have the guru Jesus, the wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your center. Now the truth of the matter is that Jesus is exactly what Peter declared him to be. He's the Messiah and he's the Son of God. Uh, Jesus was not primarily a preacher, although he was a very good preacher. Jesus was not primarily a teacher, although he was the best teacher that ever lived. He comes as a Savior. He did not come to show us, thank you so much, he did not come to show us uh, the answer so much as to show us he is the answer to our questions. He does for us what we cannot do on our own. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, I preached on how to overcome temptation. And this week, I'd like to look at the benefits of temptation. We hear that say benefits of temptation. It certainly doesn't feel like temptations benefit us, but oh yes, they do, and I want to talk about it uh, this morning. Uh, William Barclay, let me read you a quote he said, not, and I quote, Temptation is not meant to make us sin. It is meant to enable us to conquer sin. It is not meant to make us bad. It is meant to make us good. It is not meant to weaken us. It is meant to emerge, excuse me, make us emerge stronger and finer and purer. Temptation is not the penalty of being a man. Temptation is the glory of being a man. Temptation is the test which comes to every man that God wishes to use. Every one of us who will be used of God will suffer temptation. Now, two events happened back to back in the beginning of Jesus' ministry that kind of launched him into the spotlight. The first thing that happened, we see in Matthew chapter 3, we, uh, in a moment here we're going to read, uh, that his baptism, as that's kind of what started his ministry, put him in the public spotlight. 
Immediately after that, uh, we see his temptation. I want to look at both of them this morning together. And I think that the connection will have some lessons for us. Uh, so if you've got your Bible open, Matthew chapter 3, we'll start reading verse number 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said, Unto him, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We had a baptism last week. That didn't happen. But it happened for Jesus Christ when he got baptized. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made to bread. Now, we're not going to read the whole temptation. The focus is not what the temptation was, but the fact that he was tempted. And we'll go from there. I want to preach to you this morning face to face with the devil. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time we have. Help us now to learn something from this passage. Uh, be a help to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Outside of the crucifixion, the baptism of Jesus is the only event in his life that you find in all four Gospels. It's an important one. By the way, baptism is important. Jesus demonstrated this. Baptism does not save you. It has nothing to do with salvation. We are saved by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But baptism is important because it's a step of obedience to the Lord. In fact, Jesus told John that. And by the way, if baptism saved, Jesus wouldn't need to be baptized. Uh, he, he did not need to be saved. He had no sin nature. Uh, but he was baptized in obedience, and he set that example for us. And so baptism is an important part of our Christian life. But only in Matthew and Luke does, is the temptation scene recorded for us in detail. Uh, the baptism and the temptation are closely connected by the word then, the first word in chapter 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. Uh, now, the, God has just spoken. Uh, he has sent down this dove. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then, the Bible says, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. After great triumph and success came trial and temptation. After a moment of victory comes a moment of testing. Have you ever noticed that it is just impossible to stay, have, to continue to have that top of the world feeling? You ever started out like that, maybe in the day or the week, and man, you've got the world by the tail and everything's working out great? That never lasts long, does it? That seems to dissipate really quickly. Well, here Jesus was after this great uh, victorious moment, and uh, even the most talented and smartest people cannot escape the wrinkles of life and the things that come along to ruin our top-of-the-world feeling. So I have a question along that line for you to consider. What if we did better? What if I lived a life that was perfect and I did everything right and I prayed every day? What if you could always do everything right? What if you overcame all your faults? What if you avoided all mistakes and you made only wise choices and wise decisions? What if your faith in God was completely without wavering you never doubted, you never failed. What if your life was perfect and pleasing to God? Surely then, your piety, your sanctity, 
would be like an umbrella to protect you from trouble, certainly from temptation, wouldn't you? I mean, if you did everything right, you wouldn't have to worry about temptation. It would be a shield to safeguard you from trials. That's nowhere near the truth. Because here stands a man who did just that. Jesus Christ was perfect. God had just said, this is my son, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus did not ever sin in his life. Look at what happens. He was accepted by God. He was affirmed by God. He was approved by God. Then, the Bible says, he was ushered into the presence of the devil. Now, if men were running the show, I think, we would say Jesus ought to be ushered into a palace or into the governor's mansion or into a, 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 at least an important place that was deserving of him. But the Holy Spirit led Jesus Christ into a dry, barren wilderness without food and water, that he, or without food that he lived for 40 days. This fact sometimes reminds us that God's Holy Spirit will lead us into difficult times in our life. The Lord is not always going to put you on easy street. And sometimes we get to thinking like uh, we just mentioned here that if I do everything right, it'll protect me from troubles. Not so. Notice the order again here. God's affection, his acceptance, his affirmation. Then, the word then in chapter 4 verse 1. Then wilderness, hunger, evil, temptation. This word then is kind of the operating word here. Almost like Matthew's trying to tell us, hey, listen here, friend, no one is exempt from trials. No one is exempt from troubles. God had only one son without sin. He had no son without suffering. All of us suffer, and only one does not sin. And so it's, uh, we see what happens to people that God loves and God is pleased with. Remember, God is pleased with Jesus here. It is in that way that he builds us into something great. Don't ever think when you're in the middle of a trial or trouble is coming on you or you're in, the, in a low point or in a valley, don't ever think it's because God hates you or that God is upset with you. Sometimes he's trying to build you into something better. We see this in the life of Job. Job was a man that did everything right. Uh, he did everything right and then everything went wrong very quickly for him. He lost his fortune. He lost his family. He lost his fitness. That was for Pastor Forsberg, because I can alliterate too. I just wanted him to hear that. Uh, Job's friends came to see him. You know what they told him? You ever read the book of Job? His, his, fr his friends came to see him, right? Uh, now, they did something right that, that, I, that you can respect. For a long time, they just came and sat with him. I think that's, that's really special. When you have people, sometimes there's just no words to say. Sometimes you don't know what to say. As a pastor, I've always found it used to find a lot more difficult to make hospital visits because I'd be thinking, you know, it's my job to come and say something brilliant, like they do in the movies. You know, they have teams of writers, and they come up with these great lines, and you just wish you had the right thing to say. And I've found sometimes it's best just to, just to be with someone. And so his friends did that. But when they did open their mouth, it wasn't so good. They basically said, look, Job, if you'd have been living right, these things wouldn't have happened to you. If you'd have been doing the right thing, then these trouble, you obviously have upset God. You've obviously done something wrong, and so that's why this trouble is coming onto you. And by the way, that's how we usually think. That's how we usually think. If we see somebody's life totally falling apart, what's our first response? Hmm, wonder what they did. <laughs> or something happens bad to us, what do we do often? We are, and by the way, self-inspection is a good thing. It, it, sometimes God does send things into our life to get our attention. I'm not saying we oughtn't to look into ourselves, but 
But uh, it's not always that there's a punishment going on. And uh, here's the other side of it. If we're not suffering, we usually credit ourselves. You ever notice that? I guess I'm just doing really good, making right choices and doing the right thing. And hey, this great feeling, this mountaintop experience in my life, that's what happens when you make right decisions and good decisions. Live like I do. We credit ourselves when, we, when things are going well and when things aren't going well, uh, we point fingers. It's because of grace when things go well, amen? It's, it's, it is because uh, of, of God's blessings to us. But in Matthew chapter 3, we see a man, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, and he really did live a good life. If anyone earned a pass from suffering and trial, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ. He never did anything wrong. He lived a perfect and sinless life. Yet his life was full of trouble, and it ended in crucifixion. This temptation scene is just an opener to a life full of opposition and reproach. His life would be a progression of rejection, of, of poverty, betrayal, torture, and finally death. Everything goes wrong for Jesus from this point forward. And what does that tell us? Well, there's evil in the world, and it's real. Satan is real, by the way, and he wants to destroy you. The Bible tells us to be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't just want to hurt you, he wants to destroy you, and he's a real thing. There is an evil in the world. There are forces, and behind them all is a singular intelligence. Now, our society has dismissed the fact that there is a Satan, that there is uh, a, even that there's absolute evil. But in fact, uh, only three out of ten people believe that Satan's a real person. Now stop and think about that. Three out of ten, that's, if my math is right, and I hate math, but if my math is right, my Brother Nielsen is around 33%, right? So around, around in there. So around 33% believe Satan's real, and about 90 plus percent think God is real. I've always gotten, been confused about that. You can't have one without the other, Amen. I mean, if, if God says he is, if we believe that God says or is who he says he is, then we ought to believe what he says about Satan. And so uh, I find that interesting. But the truth is, friend, all of us in here, we might sign the right line on that statistic. Oh, yes, I believe Satan's real. But we don't live like it a lot of times. A lot of times we don't act like Satan's real. The truth is there's going to come times when we're face to face with the devil, just like Jesus was here. Because of that, we are always misdiagnosing and mis, or, or we're underestimating the power of evil in our lives. Deep down, we cling to the idea that if I do good, then I will escape bad things happening to me. And that's just not the truth of the Bible. If life does go well, like Job's friends, or we think maybe if life uh, does take a turn for the bad. If life does not go well, then we just need to do better. We must recognize that if there's true godliness in your life, it will stir up attacks from evil. Satan will do everything he can. Just, by the way, if you want to live a life spiritually free of trouble, just, just determine in your heart to do nothing for God. He'll pretty much leave you alone. 
But you start trying to witness for the Lord, you try to be faithful to church, you you try to do everything that God wants you to do, you try to be the child of God that you need to be, you get in the Word, you pray, you watch the devil throw up all kinds of oppositions to you. Christ did not encounter temptation because he was disobedient. He encountered temptation in spite of doing everything right. And this is what we see here in the baptism and the temptation of Christ. What we have to remember, dear friends, is that God has a purpose for us beyond the wilderness. God led Job through a terrible wilderness, and he's been a help to millions. God led, or Jesus went through the wilderness, and he ended up being our Savior, came to be our Savior. We too are going to face time in the wilderness if we're going to fulfill God's purpose in our life. A wilderness is not uh, something that just happens to us. It actually is something that's necessary for us to make an impact for God. We'll see more about that in just a moment. Have you ever noticed something interesting? When the Bible talks about evil or Satan or the flesh, it uses battle language. You ever notice that? Let me give you a few verses. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, For we walk not after the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds. Ephesians 6, 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul charges Timothy to war a good warfare. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. At the end of his own life, what does Paul say about his ministry? I have fought a good fight. Can I tell you, friend, when we get saved, we're not getting on a cruise ship, we're getting on a battleship. And that's the Christian life. We're going to battle. We're going to face Satan. We're going to face temptation. With that in mind, we'll look at Jesus here in his face-to-face with the devil. We're not going to look at the details of the temptation, but the significance of the fact that there was a temptation. I I, I ought to just mention, by the way, I firmly believe that the purpose of the temptation for Jesus was not that Jesus would sin. Jesus had no sin nature. We are, because we have a sin nature, we are uh, enticed from two uh, avenues or areas in our life, Uh, We are enticed from our flesh, the inside, and we also can be enticed from the outside. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. That is from the outside. James talks about how uh, our flesh is what draws us into lust and all those things. So Jesus could be enticed from the outside. He could not be tempted from the inside because he had no sin nature. Uh, It's important for us to realize that. Now, in Luke's passage, Luke chapter 3, immediately after the baptism of Jesus, Luke inserts a genealogy. What do you do when you come to the genealogies of the Bible? Now, be honest. Good. We've got one honest person. When I come to the genealogies, I I always think of one critic's view of the review he wrote for the phone book. He said, an interesting, uh, a strong cast of characters, but a weak plot. That's That's the genealogy. But Luke starts with Jesus, and he goes all the way back to Adam, And then he comes back to the story of the temptation. I think that's interesting because you have, so you have the order, there's a baptism, then the genealogy, and then the temptation. One thing that we can take from this genealogy is the fact that both the first Adam and the second Adam faced temptation. The first Adam miserably failed. That's why we're in the mess that we're in today. For one man, sin entered into the world, and so death by sin. Uh, The second Adam, however, was successful in his Uh, refusal of the sin, praise God. Then look at the the directing here. Verse number one. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. 
The word led there has the idea of being led by the hand. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, uh, parallel passage, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. It does not mean that Jesus went unwillingly, but it does indicate that this showdown with the devil that he was going to have was not an accident. Uh, the whole story, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, he led him through the wilderness, and he led him out of the wilderness. There was never a moment when the Holy Spirit was absent of leading Jesus Christ. Oh, that's important for us to understand. Because in trouble, in trials, in temptation, often we feel like God's a million miles away. He's nowhere close to this thing. A lot of times he's allowing us to go through these things because he needs to teach us and help us. And again, we'll look at that in just a moment. I love this. These two verses, even in a weakened condition, by the way, Jesus had the Holy Spirit on him as he faced the devil. But look at these two verses. Uh, I mean, I'm going to look at, read, off, read off Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Full of the Holy Ghost. Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. This was after, after the temptation. Jesus was full of the Spirit when he went into the desert. Jesus came out of the desert in the power of the Spirit. Something happened in the desert. Something happened when he had victory over temptation. Suddenly his being full of the Spirit was now being in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's power became evident and obvious to him in a new way. Now, understandably, this is somewhat of a mystery to us, but we accept the Bible as it tells us that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He was all God, all man. He was the God-man. But the Bible tells us as a boy that he grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man, Luke 2.52. And if he did that as a child and as a man, he could grow empowered of the Holy Spirit. Before, after, during the wilderness experience, he is fully led by the Spirit. But having defeated the devil, his, the Spirit's power is pronounced in his life. But hey, that shouldn't be a surprise to us. Isn't this our experience? When we face temptation successfully, when we refuse to lower our standards, when we say no to sin and yes to righteousness, don't we come out of that experience stronger? Sure we do. That's how we grow. James chapter 1, verse 2 my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, wait a second. I read James. I love the book of James. Don't get me wrong. But that, it, sometimes it just socks you in the mouth. Seriously? I got to count it all joy when I'm being tempted? I don't, it doesn't seem very joyful to me. In fact, it's miserable. Count it all joy when you fall into temptations. He tells us why. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Oh boy, I tell you what, I have my cell phone somewhere here. If I could, when, when I want something, last week we flew, uh, and when I, when I flew, I downloaded an app, uh, American Airlines. It gave me the different things I could do with that. And uh, now I've deleted it because I don't need it anymore. If I need it again sometime, I'll download it again. It's nice that way. Apps are good for phone. Don't you wish there was life apps? Okay. My kids are getting on my last nerve. I need patience. And download the patience app. Ah, that's better. That's not how life works. You know how we get patience? Trouble! Trials! All these difficulties. 
<laughs> and so James says, hey, count it all joy. You know what happens in these diverse temptations? You're in the process of downloading an app into your life. Patience just takes a little longer. It's difficult to get. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, why do we need temptation? This is a principle we better understand in our life. God uses temptation to release spiritual power into your life. One preacher put it this way, in serving God, three things are required. Meditation, prayer, and temptation. I found that interesting. Meditation, obviously, on the Word of God, prayer, a relationship with God. The second uh, prayer is communion with God. And then the third, temptation. But does that mean we should go looking for a fight, pick a fight with the devil? Not at all. But we should also not run from our spiritual battles. No one can ever grow spiritually. Listen to me now, friend. No one can ever grow spiritually without facing temptations. It's how we grow. It's how we grow. Temptation. Uh, the word temptation is synonymous in the Greek with the word trial. It's translated both ways. Temptation to most of us, if you hear the word temptation, what are you thinking about? A solicitation to evil. That's what we think about with temptation. But in the book of James, it talks about trials and talks about temptations, and many of them have the same original word as it's talking there. Don't you realize, though, that the same event can often in your life be a temptation and a trial? What God gives to us as a trial to grow us, to build us, to make us stronger, Satan can very easily turn into a temptation. Sometimes they're the very same thing. The very same event that should be a trial and a test can also be a temptation. Let me give you some examples. The trial of a lost loved one is a temptation to get bitter against God. The trial of sickness is temptation to doubt God's love for us. The trial of hurt feelings is a temptation to gossip. And we could go on and on and on. God uses trouble to accomplish one thing in your life. Satan will in turn use that exact same trouble to accomplish something diametrically the opposite of what God's trying to do. Often God allows a trial for positive reasons. Satan then takes that trial over and tries to co-opt it for evil reasons in your life. The temptation of Jesus offers a great picture of this principle here. Who led Christ into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit did. Who did the tempting? The devil did. Did God know what was going to happen when he sent his son into the desert? Yes, he did. Is there a conflict here? Not at all. He allowed Jesus to go through it. Understand, God was not trying to defile Christ. Rather, the temptation is to prove the holy character of Christ. Let me insert something else here, a little off topic. This is why it is absolutely imperative that we hold to the doctrine of the virgin birth. You might think that that's not that big of a deal. It is a huge deal. Because the Bible says that we are sinners because of, uh, wherefore by one man sin entered into the world, and so death passed upon all men. So by the way, this will help you relieve your conscience a little bit. If you do anything wrong in your life, it's your dad's fault. You can blame him. The Bible says, wherefore by one man sin, and it passed down through the men. You get your... My kids didn't hear that, did they? I got a couple of my kids. I just thought of what I did to myself. Uh, we get our sin nature from our fathers. It comes through man to man to man. Guess what Jesus did not have? He did not have an earthly father. He had no sin nature. If you put an earthly father in Jesus' life, you all of a sudden give him a sin nature. 
and he did not have a sin nature. So that's why it's important. These things in the Bible that it teaches are important for us to hold to. We need to remember that. All right. So was God putting his son in a place where his son could be tempted by the devil? The answer to that has to be yes. Yes. He led him there. But he intended to demonstrate that his son would not yield to Satan's wiles. And that's why when we are tempted, is God allowing it? He's never causing it, but is he allowing it? Yes. The greatest thing we can do for the Lord is resist the temptation and do right. That's a great thing. That's a great way to worship the Lord is resist temptation. So how do trials become temptations? I'd like for you to grasp this and identify this with your life. God never directly solicits his children to sin. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. However, it is also true that God allows his children to be in a place where they face severe temptations from Satan. Is God responsible for the temptation? No, he is not. He does the leading, Satan does the tempting. From God's point of view, it's a test. From Satan's point of view, it's a temptation, even though in our life it seems like there's just one thing going on here. Does that make sense? And so, with this, is a, this pattern we see in every area of our life. God sends a trial, Satan turns it into a temptation. Let me give you an example. A child of God gets cancer. Now, it's a terrible thing, obviously. But could that sickness be a testing from God? Absolutely. In fact, I have friends who have had it and beat it and have been much better people for it, the, the, what they went through. And I don't wish it on anybody, but I'm just saying God's done great works in people's lives by bringing these things. It could be a testing from God to purify motives. It could be a testing from God to cause the child of God to look away from the things of the world and look to the things of heaven and eternity rather than temporary things. It could be to turn the eyes of the child back to the Lord. Uh, actually, there's many good things that can be accomplished in the life of a believer by getting sick. It could reorganize priorities. It can do all kinds of things. Does Satan work through sickness? Absolutely. Will he turn that same thing into a temptation? He sure will. Uh, during that same sickness, he'll tempt you to despair, to anger, to bitterness, ultimately to turn you away from the Lord. What God intends for your spiritual good, Satan will always use to try to pull you down. It works the other way just as well. Suppose you get a promotion or a raise in your salary or you get a, 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 a much better position at work. Now that you're better off financially than you've ever been, could that promotion be a test from God? Sure it can. You know, I read the story of Joseph. One of my favorite series to do in the, in the Old Testament is, book, uh, is a story about Joseph, Genesis. And Joseph went, you know, he proved for years and years, 20 years plus a little bit, that he proved that he was going to be faithful to God in adversity. But I've always thought and maintained that Joseph's biggest test in his life came the day he was promoted. Because a lot of men can handle adversity that cannot handle prosperity. Prosperity ruins them where adversity didn't. Joseph, thankfully, shone through both of those and, and was faithful to the Lord. But yes, God can send prosperity as a test to you uh, to see how we will handle his blessings. Uh, if we, prosperity ought to make us more generous toward the needy, 
having more ought to open our eyes toward those that have less than we do. But in that same prosperity, Satan can tempt us to be greedy, selfish, and materialistic. This happened in Saul's life. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 17, Samuel is talking to Saul. And he said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel and Lord anointed thee king over Israel? Listen, Saul, when you were little in your own sight, you were a good man. You honored the Lord with your life. Suddenly you got big, became the king, got big in your own eyes, pride filled your heart, and uh, he failed that test. So, in closing here, two conclusions. Conclusion number one, testing and trials are a normal part of the Christian life. They're just going to be there. They're part of God's curriculum for you in the school of life. He wants to grow you. He wants to learn you something. That proper English there? He wants to learn you something. Uh, so that by following him and trusting him in those circumstances, you become stronger. Your faith becomes stronger as you become an example to other people. Uh, there's nothing you can do to escape the trials of life. Nothing. Well, except die. I mean, there's nothing you can do to escape God's trials. They're just going to happen. Trials are going to happen in life. In, in God's school, he does not offer a no-trials degree program. It just doesn't. It's not offered. I'm waiting. <laughs> I often think, uh, you know, I've been a minister for a few years now. I'm waiting for some college to call me up and give me an honorary doctorate. And that'd be nice. And I, I'm just kidding. I've, I've always wondered, what do earned doctorate people think about honorary doctorate people? That would kind of upset me a little bit. You know, I worked enslaved and, and, try, and earned this degree, and then some Joe Schmo goes over and gets one given to him. But uh, I can tell you one thing for sure that there's no honorary degrees in the school of life. We're going to earn them. All of us will be tested in many ways. The second conclusion, a trial becomes a temptation when we respond wrongly. What was sent into our life to make us stronger, when we respond in the power of the flesh, it actually tears us down and makes us weaker. You've known people like that before, and I'd mentioned sickness a while ago, and and uh, and not don't at all make light of that. But I have, I'm thinking of someone right now that had cancer and beat it, and man, the spirit that they have, and the the way that they're a help to people, and the way it has opened them up in their empathy towards others, it's amazing what that does. I've also known people that get sick, and or, or something bad happens, and they get bitter, and they get hard. And they hate God and hate people and sit like sourpusses the rest of their life away. There's no way to be. What God means for good, Satan means for evil. Again, the Bible does not sharply distinguish between the two. We separate trials and temptations as if they're far apart in our life, but really they're not. Uh, some, the book of James, as I mentioned, uses the same word for both of them, trials and temptations. So from the mountaintop of Jesus' baptism, he was led by the Spirit into the valley of his temptation. God never intends that we stay on the mountaintop. Now, I don't know about you. I like mountaintops. I'm talking about in my life. I like mountaintop experiences. They're exciting places. Uh, from the mountaintops, you can see vast distances. From the mountaintop, you have no worries. Everything's going well. The mountaintop is a place of joy, spiritual refreshment. Sometimes a revival can be a mountaintop experience, or sometimes a great spiritual victory in your life can be a great mountaintop experience. 
And we like it there. But, and I thank God for mountaintops. By the way, if we wouldn't have mountaintops in our Christian life, it wouldn't really be worth living, would it? And yet we have those sometimes. But you can't stay there forever. Sometimes, sooner or later, you're going to go from the mountaintops down into the valley of trouble. Can I tell you something about mountaintops? They're great, but nothing much grows up there. A lot of rocks and snow up there. You know where stuff does grow? In the valley. You know where you're going to grow? In the valley. At my, uh, one of the uh, people that I read, uh, Paul Chapel, that's who it was that wrote this, the best sermon you'll ever preach is you in the valley. How do you handle the valley? That's the best sermon you'll ever preach to your children. Best sermon you'll ever preach to those around you is you in the valley. That's where you grow your faith. That's where you prove the reality of your faith before a watching world. If you try to stay on the mountaintops too long, uh, the Holy Spirit will do what He did with Jesus. Take you by the hand and lead you down into the valley. Some temptation. We don't like it. It's unpleasant. But we need it. And it will help us to grow stronger as we resist that temptation. Uh, it's the, Resisting temptation is like practicing your, it's like working out your spiritual muscle. How you get stronger. Now, I don't have to tell you this. It's obvious. I lift weights. Okay, you can see that. I have to show. And uh, so I, I don't lift heavy weights, okay, as you can also tell. Uh, but if you are going to get stronger, you don't lessen the weights over time. You add to it, right? And so as you, uh, when I finally am able to bench press 50 pounds, you know, I put it up to 55 pounds. And then uh, one day I hope to get to 60 pounds. And, but uh, you keep working up. You get stronger and stronger and stronger. That's how it is with temptation. Stand your ground. Never give up. Uh, the result is a blessing. After the testing was over in Luke 4.14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region about. Jesus not only defeated the devil, he returned in his victory in the power of the Spirit, and he made an impact. That's what I want to do with my life. I will make an impact. I hope you do too. He now goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, in his hometown in Nazareth, the first thing he does. Standing up, begins to read from the book of Isaiah. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And after making some audacious claims, he said in verse 21, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And whoo, could have heard a pin drop. That man just claimed to be God? I think he did. After they listened to him, they tried to throw him off a cliff. How would you like that on your first day of ministry? You go right on to throw him off a cliff. From, from Nazareth, he went to Capernaum. When he spoke there, the Bible says they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power, verse 32. Because Jesus is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, he's free to speak the truth with boldness. Again, let's step back and look at the order again. Obedience in baptism. Assurance from God. Testing from the devil. Uh, power uh, from overcoming the devil and boldness that came from all those things. Jesus is modeling for us what we do when we're face to face with the devil. He obeys and the Spirit descends. The Father speaks His words of reassurance. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Then He's led off into the wilderness. He comes out in the power of the Spirit and His resulting boldness impacts many. You too, friend, are going to come face to face with the devil. 
You're going to come face to face with temptation. You're going to have trials come into your life you don't understand. Things that come that you just... You, by the way, every time they do come, we seek one thing, deliverance. Amen? Lord, help me in this trial. Get rid of it. God doesn't seek always to deliver you. Sometimes He wants to develop you. And so we seek deliverance. God seeks development. The best thing you can do in your trial is let Him develop you real quickly. Sometimes when the development happens quicker, the trial can go away. Amen? I had uh, uh, years ago when I first started riding a motorcycle, I had to go get my motorcycle endorsement. Had something to add to your license. And, and uh, I went the first time and, and I failed it, sad to say, because I went really cocky and confident. You know what I had to do? I had to take that thing again. That's what you have to do when you fail a test. Amen? Are you with me? What did you have to do in school when you fail a test? You had to do it again. And if you fail it again, you had to do it again. How many of us have went through the same trial, the same testing, the same temptation over and over again because we're too knuckle-headed to just learn our lessons and, and grow from it? I'm just asking you today, friend, don't get bitter at it. Don't get, uh, don't get angry in the face of temptation and trial. Ask yourself, what can I, what can I, how can I develop myself after the Son of God? Now, we have a verse that we like to use for other people. I always get a chuckle out of this. Romans 8.28. Uh, Romans 8.28. Let's turn there. Romans 8.28. My goodness, my, my mind went blank here. <laughs> the Bible says, Oh yes, and we know all things work together for good. For them that love the Lord. Now, have you ever noticed that verse is for other people? Think about it. You're never going through bad trouble and you think, oh yes, but all things work together for good. No, that's what you give other people when they're going through bad times. And when you're going through a bad time, some helpful, loving other person's going to come and give you this verse and you think, the last thing I need to hear is all things work together for good. But here's, here's what we often miss here. Uh, in verse 27, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, this is why God puts these things in our life. This is why he brings us trials and troubles and all these things work together for good. He's trying to mold us and shape us into the image of his Son. We are to become more Christ-like. We are to become more like Jesus. Is, is, uh, is troubles making you more like Jesus? Are they making you more like the devil. That's what we need to do with our troubles, our trials, our temptations. How are you responding? And don't forget they're necessary. We need them to grow. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. I, we talk